Good morning. Do you know what begins today? What officially starts today is March Madness. Okay? I mean, we were a little bit ahead of the game. We've been having it going on for over a week now here at Greater Alton. How many of you have been here on a Saturday to see some of the games? It is a ball. I am, it is highly entertaining. Notice I did not say it's high quality basketball. It is very entertaining. For the very first time I came last week and I started watching a game, I wanted to say one thing. Just because you see them do it on TV doesn't mean you can do it. And you see these things going on in these games where you know, that guy never played basketball in his life. And he's trying to throw an alley-oop pass. You know? Or he's trying to throw the long bomb to a guy that's not even looking for it. I mean, it goes on. It is very much fun to watch it. And uh, guys, I hardly enjoy it. It's a lot of fun, um, period. Uh, you watch the little kids play, the middle schoolers. Uh, I know uh, Chris was talking just ideas for next year already. And he was talking about just having two middle school teams and they play each other each week. Because it gets a little lopsided having the college students play the middle schoolers. But they back off. They have a good time. The crowd goes crazy when the middle schoolers finally start scoring baskets. It's very cool. Uh, the announcing is, is somewhat entertaining as well. And especially when they know people. I remember uh, there was one guy that kept shooting the ball over the basket, Ethan Gill. And they, and they were telling him, hey, move back. To he, was st- he was standing right here, shooting the basket, and it was going completely over the backboard. So then they told him to move back to half court. So his next time he moves back to about here, and he makes it. He was just standing in the wrong spot. And you get help from wherever. It was, it's just fun. And guys, uh, what is this about? Does Jesus tell us to, to play basketball? No, he doesn't. Okay, all we're trying to do is take advantage of a, of a time of the year that's going on, of a people's awareness, and trying to bring a spiritual aspect to it. Uh, try to get people to have fun, to come to the church building. Maybe they don't go to church, maybe they don't know Jesus, and maybe they get exposed to it and say, hey, I want to find out more about this. And then on, on Sundays, you know, we were, our lessons here on Sunday mornings during this time are our, our, our basketball themes, so to speak. Tim talked last week about the importance of having teammates, how that's significant in basketball, and how it's more significant in life. And it's specifically in having a relationship with God, that you have people on your team that are going to help you to do that. God does not expect you to do it alone. Ultimately, you have to stand before God by yourself, but He gives you help. And that is very cool. And today, I'm getting to talk about timeouts. That's a big part of basketball, right? If you follow college basketball, how many of you are going to watch some of the tournament that's going to start this week? A few of you. Okay, not a lot of you. But if you watch, you know one thing is going to happen, especially the first two rounds, that's going to drive you bananas. For all you non-basketball fans, take a guess at how long it'll take the last two minutes of these games to last. 30 minutes or more. And why is that? Timeout! That's the reason. Because they've become a strategic part of the game that's different than what they were originally intended. They were originally intended what? Let's, let's have a pause and play. Let's regroup. Let's catch our breath. Then let's go back out and play. But what they've done is they go, no, we don't want to use those. So now they have TV timeouts. They don't have to waste their timeouts. They don't have to burn them. They can save them to the end of the game. So when they're down by 12 points with two minutes to go, 
they start stopping the clock by first fouling and then by second uh, calling timeouts. And they extend the life of the game. They make those last two minutes go incredibly, incredibly slow. And it's very interesting, guys. If you, just a side note, I've got some rules in basketball and how they've changed over the years um, that I'm going to read a little bit later. But one of the rules that changed, and I, w- I want to say it was about 1910, they basically moved the, bas- moved the goal two feet out from the end of the baseline. All right? Where before, the, the basketball hoop was right on, at the, on, on the out-of-bounds, which also happened to be the end of the gymnasium. Okay, it was the wall. And they padded the wall. You've seen in some of the old gyms, okay? I mean, it had to be an old gym where they got this big wrestling mat against the wall. So the guys running down, bang, they, they didn't hurt themselves too bad, breaking into that wall. Well, they changed this rule to move the basket out because up till that time, they allowed the players to use that mat on the end of the wall to climb up and to get closer to the basket. Yeah, that was part of the game. Uh-uh, there's no video of this, okay? It's before video, before movie, movie. But that was the way the, the rules changed. And guys, timeouts have done that. They've evolved that there's something different than what they were originally intended. And that's the nature of any time you put rules out there, people are going to try to m- use them and manipulate them within the guidelines to their advantage. And there's not anything necessarily wrong with that. But guys, today when we're talking about timeouts... I want to talk about what timeouts are originally intended for. You see, because there is a... If you, if you watch the game, and you'll... A game, especially in the first half, it's starting to get out of hand. Where one team is dominating the other team in basketball. They're running away from them, and the announcers will say, He needs to call a timeout. He needs to call a timeout. Well, and the other, and the other commentary will say, Well, I think he's waiting for the TV timeout, Marv. And then that's true, but he's going, what's going is the game's getting out of hand. The other team's running roughshod over him. And his team, the team is losing, they're being demoralized. And they need to call a timeout, get that break in play, help them regroup, let them catch their breath, give them a pep talk. Let them know that this is a game of streaks and go back out and play. And and you see this a, a number of times when you watch the game of basketball or football. You watch football, second half, don't, if one team dominates the first half, don't expect that the second half. Because essentially the halftime is a big timeout. And what they call it is halftime adjustments. You see, that's what timeouts are designed before, designed for. They're going through this game and it's fast paced and it's chaotic and it's crazy and all the coach says, wait, we need to make an adjustment. They're killing us over here. We're putting two guys on this guy. Okay, we're switching from a man defense, man to man, to a zone defense, or or vice versa. They're making some adjustments. <coughs> Excuse me, so they can play the game better. And guys, I just I just want to offer to you. I don't know about you, but do you ever feel like that life is just moving too fast and chaotic? Okay, do you ever feel like that? You, you, you just wish you could stop. Take a step back. If you are married with children right now, I promise you, you feel that way. Richard and Megan, you're about to feel that way. You know, they're they're due with twins here in the next three weeks, huh? Yeah. I said I wanted twins. My boys are 20 months apart. I don't know if that was better or worse, but I would not try go back and try for the twins. I will pray. 
God trusts you a lot. That's all I can tell you. Chaos. Young families, it's, it's crazy, all the activity. I remember standing in this room somewhere back over here several years ago, and our three children were all still under the age of probably six or seven. And we had three kids in less than four years. And I, I, an old friend is here, and he, him and his wife had four kids. And their kids are all grown. And I'm just sitting there going, Gah. I said, it's got to get easier. And he looks at me and goes, it's not going to get any easier. How can it not get easier? It's got to get easier. You know, I mean, when they can all walk, talk, white, pick out their own clothes, it's got to get easier somewhere along the line. And he said, well, wait, it does get easier. I was right. Then it gets harder. He was right. He was right. Middle school. When the first one hits middle school, it jumps another level. Because up to that point... Up to that point, they're pretty well taking what you give them. They hit middle school and they take a look around and go, you've been holding back. There's more out here than you've let me know about. And I want involved in something. And some of it's not bad. I mean, you, we'll tell you someday about when my daughter made the uh, middle school basketball team and then my son made it a month later. And it was crazy. A different world. Practice six days a week. Games three a week. It just goes crazy. And sometimes you wish you could go, I just want to stop. Anybody feel that way? Anybody feel that way? Well, guys, you need to understand that if you are serious about following Jesus, whether you are right now or not, or you say, hey, if you're considering following Jesus, or if you've made the commitment to follow Jesus, the lifestyle that I just described is dangerous to following Jesus. Did you know that? He told a story about this. He told it in three places, actually. And there's a verse in your notes in Mark chapter 4 where he talks about this. He tells it's typically called the parable of the soils. And he describes four different soils that each of us fall into. And uh, what the seed does, which is the Word of God, when when it grows in these soils or tries to grow in these soils. And then, he, he, first he describes the path, then he describes the rocky soil, then the thorny soil, and finally the good soil. And what I want to talk about today is the thorny soil, because it is my belief, Jesus didn't put a time frame on it, but if anybody is seriously trying to follow Jesus, and has been trying to do that for any length of time at all, you see, because it says the rocky soil, they give up quick. The path, it never grows. The rocky soil gives up quick. But the thorny soil grows, but it doesn't produce fruit. And let's read what Jesus has to say about it. It says, The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so that no fruit is produced. What is he saying there? He's saying that, guys, you can, you can make a commitment to follow Jesus. And you can, you can claim to be a Christian. And you can be involved in Christian activities, so we speak. Church activities. But the Word of God can be choked out of your life by everything else, and it bears no fruit. That's what Jesus says. And guys, I just want to tell you, I believe, that it, 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 I believe number one, this is a danger, for, like I said, for anybody who has 
made a commitment to follow Jesus and has been following through on that commitment for any length of time. And I believe it's worse here in America because there are a billion different things that can distract you. I mean, there are a billion forms of entertainment. There are a billion addictions. And most of them appear harmless all by themselves. And they only become a problem when they choke out the Word of God. And guys, we need timeouts our way of interrupting this process, our way of stopping and going, what's choking God's Word out in my life? What's keeping me from bearing fruit the way God wants me to bear fruit? Maybe you need to take a time out and just examine, "Ah, this is me, I don't bear fruit. And you see guys, I believe time outs are a necessary part of following Jesus. He didn't call them time outs by the way. All right. This is we're just using the basketball terminology. But today what I want to talk about is how do you have a productive timeout? How do you do it? And the first thing that we want to look at about how you have a have a productive timeout is you gotta stop. You gotta take you gotta hit the pause button, guys. You've got to stop the craziness for the briefest period of time. You can't examine things, what's going on, without hitting the stop button, without causing yourself to take a pause. See, you've got to stop and hit what you're doing for the normal activities. How long should it last? Well, that depends, and we're going to talk a little bit about that in a little bit. Um, because you're going, to need to, you're going to need to take more than one time out. Just like in the game of basketball, they get multiple timeouts. And guys, in life, we need to take multiple timeouts. And I'll talk more about it. I'm getting ahead of myself. Excuse me. But guys, Jesus, God planned for you to take a timeout. Did you know that? He did. He didn't call it that. In fact, in the Old Testament, he had a name for it. You know what it was? The Sabbath. It was the Sabbath. If you look in, in Exodus chapter 20, that's in your notes on the screen, this is what it says. It says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now, guys, something about this, okay? You need to understand, this is, this is listed here in Exodus 20. It's one of the Ten Commandments. It was a rule, if you will. It was a law that God set up. And he, he expected them to follow it. In fact, later on, in uh, later parts of the, the Old Testament, what we call the Minor Prophets, part of his condemnation of the nation was they didn't honor the Sabbath. They didn't remember to take the day off. Now, please understand, it wasn't just about, this is what I said to do. That wasn't it. I said you should rest for a day, and you're not doing it, therefore. Guys, you need to understand, it was more more than a command, and it was a command. It was an opportunity. You see, God's saying, I'm going to tell you to do what is best for you. I'm going to tell you what you need to do. And what he told them, the way he designed life at that point, was you need to take one day and do nothing. 
He even told them you're supposed to cook your food the day before. And they came up with a whole list of guidelines of what you could and couldn't do. But guys, you need to understand, God planned this. In Exodus 16, this is what he says, Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. He's not saying, hey, he's giving you a rule and you better make sure you find it. He's saying, he's giving you an opportunity to take a break. See, that's, Jesus put it this way when he was questioned about it. He goes, Sabbath wasn't made for the man. <laughs> you know, he didn't come up with this just so we'd follow it. He says, but, I'm sorry. He said, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath was made for man. Guys, we need it. We need to hit that stop button. And just a side note, because I don't have this in my, in my notes anywhere, and uh, I, I realized this during the first service, when you hit the pause, you need to be resting. You need to get some rest. How many of you take a vacation and come back more tired than when you left? Good illustration, okay? You don't take a day off, don't take a Sabbath rest and go run a marathon. Okay? It is a day to rest. What does rest mean? You don't do much, right? You don't. In fact, I think I had this in your notes actually. I just didn't read it. That a a timeout equals a brief suspension of activity. Guys, you want to know what, you want, you want to break the craziness. You want to break the chaos. You just need to stop. And I I want to tell you, it's a learned process. It is a learned process because it is so foreign to us. We get going, going, going. And even when you stop, you may think, well, I'll sit in front of the TV all day. I'll take it. Really? That's going to help you? You take, you've got to stop your activity, guys. That's the first thing. Um, Second thing is you need to bring God into your huddle. Now that sounds kind of hokey, doesn't it? Bring God into your huddle. I told you earlier that uh, I had some rule changes. I was trying to find out at the last minute when the timeout became a part of the rules of basketball. And I I couldn't find out. Uh, James Naismith, the inventor of basketball, uh, originally had 13 rules for basketball. And you can easily find those, but there's nothing mentioned in them about timeouts. And so I was searching for them, you know, did a search history of basketball timeouts, and it didn't give me that. Didn't find nothing. But I did find a history of rule changes in the NCAA. And I'm going to read you some of these just because they're purely entertaining for nothing else. In ni- the game was invented in 1891. In 1900, they changed the rule. Players are disqualified upon committing their fourth personal foul. I don't know if it was only three before. Or if it was unlimited. You know, they just said, no, four is all you get. I don't know. Here's an interesting one. 1908. No coaching is allowed during the progress of the game by anybody connected with either team. No coaching. Coach couldn't open their mouth during the game. Anybody, even a parent in the crowd could not yell, yell out instructions. That's a little different, isn't it? Um... A player, 1910, a player can re-enter a game once. Before this rule, if a player left the game, he could not re-enter for the rest of the game. Yep, you're done, just like baseball. Baseball. 
Um, here you go, 1920, they changed the rule. The player fouled must shoot his own free throws. Before this rule, one person usually shot all the free throws for the team. That'd be convenient, wouldn't it? 1932, a player may re-enter a game twice. 1933, the jump ball after every made shot is eliminated. Yeah, what would they do if somebody made a shot? They'd all come to center court and have the jump ball again. Wow, low-scoring, long-taking games. Um, 1938, any player who has yet to foul out will be allowed to receive a fifth foul in overtime. 1942, five personal fouls disqualifies a player. No extra foul is permitted in overtime. 1944, unlimited substitution is allowed. 1944 also, coaches are allowed to speak to players during a timeout. Now, doesn't that seem ridiculous that before that time, the coach could not speak with the players during a timeout? How could he go right? Well, they didn't expect him to do it during the game. They expected him to do it before the game. We look at that and we scratch our heads and go, what were they thinking? Can I tell you guys that that's what it's like when you try to follow Jesus and don't include God in the evaluation process? When you take a time out, when you try to drop, try to take a time out and, and take a break from life and pause from normal activity and evaluate where you are with God and you leave God out of it. Anybody else ever been guilty of that? I have. I have. See, guys, when you look at... You, and there's a verse there in your notes in Mark chapter 1, and it just talks about how Jesus got up very early in the morning to go out and pray. You see, while He was here on earth, He was still human. And He had to make an effort to include God, His Father, in what was going on in His life. And He, ma- he made the effort to do that. Guys, but there's another example that I think is just more applicable because it shows what we are. And before we get to it, I just want to give you a little bit of background on this. It's found in 1 Samuel 24. But before we read it, I want to tell you a little bit about it. 1 Samuel 24, what's going on is David. Most of you have heard about David. He was a big figure in the Bible. He was the king, the second king of Israel, the one that everybody wants to be like. The Messiah had to come as a descendant of David. Uh, but before he was king, Saul was the first king. And in 1 Samuel 24, uh, David has been anointed the second king by the prophet Samuel. And he's going to be the second king, but Saul doesn't like that idea. Saul doesn't like that idea, and so he's chasing David around the countryside trying to kill him. And so David's got these guys around him who are, who are protecting him and who are warriors and who fight with him and support him. They've got his back, so to speak. And so they're hiding in a cave as Saul chases them around the countryside. And Saul's got a little bit of problem. He's got to go potty. And so Saul picks a cave to go go potty in. And guess which cave he picks? The one David and his guys are in. And they're in the back going, shh, shh, be quiet, be quiet. Don't worry in here. And all of a sudden David's 
advisors. He's seeking advice, or they're giving advice, whichever way you want to put it. And all of them are telling him the same thing. They're saying, God's handed him into your hand. Go kill him. You kill him, and this is over with. You're king. God's already anointed you king. Go kill him and get it over with. And so David sneaks up. But instead of killing him, he just cuts off the corner of his robe. And guys, this is what happens after he does that and he goes back to his men. Let's, you got that verse? There you go. It says, Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay a hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Guys, this is significance because what you see here going on essentially is with David and his guys in the cave is them trying to figure out what's going on without including God. And what they come up with is, let's kill Saul. And David, fortunately, had the wisdom to remember the words of God and say, I'm not supposed to raise a hand against the anointed of God. I'm not supposed to do it. And he says he went back and rebuked his men. Guys, what if he hadn't remembered? What if he hadn't remembered the word of God? What if he hadn't heard the word of God? You see, guys, what's that important? Why is that important? Because you want to know how to include God in your huddle? You better be reading what he has to say. I believe with all my heart that God will communicate with you. God will speak to you. Some people, some Christians, some churches are afraid of that because it opens up the door for all kinds of things. You know, all kinds of crazy, the Lord told me. You know, I've heard of young men going up to beautiful young women and said, God told me I'm supposed to marry you. I think those are hormones, young man. It opens it up. But here's the truth, guys. You want to know? You want to know if God is telling you something? If you get a feeling or a thought comes into your mind... And you want to know if it's from God? I can tell you how to know if it is definitely from God. You know how that is? If it agrees with what He's already told us. If you can look at the Bible and say, this is what God tells me. Somebody's offended you. I can tell you, I can tell you, and and you say, God told me to forgive them. I think you're right. Why? Because that's what it says. If you tell me, well, God told me uh, that if I, if I avoid them and I don't talk to them and I just pretend everything's okay, that He'll convict them on their own. Hmm. And I don't have to forgive them until they've repented. Hmm. Hmm. Guys, you've got to include God inside your huddle. You want to know what's going on, you've got to bring Him in. You've got to bring him in. When you're taking a time out, you need to be asking God, what am I supposed to do? And I, and I encourage you to go farther. Even to say, God, I will do what you show me to do. Look at this passage here in Proverbs 16. 
It says we make our own plans. But the Lord gives the right answer. People may be pure in their own eyes. But the Lord examines their motives. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plan will succeed. Guys, what's he saying there? We make plans. Anybody here good good at making plans? Yeah. Anybody here good at making yourself feel good about yourself? Deciding my motive's pure. I'm right. Guys, we can make our own plans. We can decide our motive's pure. But God can tell us what's real. And if you're not including Him in it, if you're not opening to Him showing you, um, your motive here is wrong. Your motive here is selfish. You're leaving Him out. You're leaving him out. Third thing, guys, when it comes to having a productive timeout is you need to examine yourself. You need to stop. You need to include God in the huddle. And you need to examine yourself. Guys, that's what it's about. In Leviticus 16, it's speaking of a day uh, where they're calling it a Sabbath. It's not a regular Sabbath. Uh, If you want to understand that, or understand what it's about, you can go back and read it yourself. But it says, it's a day of Sabbath rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. In 2 Corinthians 13, it says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do, Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Guys, what Paul's telling these, these Christians, these people who have made a decision, a commitment to follow Jesus, and have been doing it for a significant amount of time, the majority of them, he's saying, uh, you need to check yourself to make sure your faith is real. You want to take a time out? I think it's great. You think things are crazy and you wonder what's going on between you and God. You look at your life and say, I don't have the fruit that Jesus says I should have. You need to take a close look at yourself. That's what needs to go on during the time out. Can I tell you some words that should cause you to, if you're examining yourself and and you're saying, uh, and you're seeing what's going on, and and there's some words that if you use these words, they're dangerous, they're potentially very dangerous words. Okay? I say potentially because it's not exclusive, and I'll explain that in a minute. But whenever you use the words, I have to. Well, I have to, and you fill in the blank. I spoke with a parent uh, within the last year. And we were talking about the busyness of everything going on, the kids and activities and life. And I said, I just said, I, I understand that. I said, I just want to say one thing. I'm going to say one thing. I said, what's that? You don't have to do all that. It's a choice that you're involved and your children are involved in all that. Okay, I didn't, didn't judge what those activities were. I just said, you just need, I just want you to know it's a choice. Because whenever you say, I have to, I have to. No, you don't. You don't have to do everything you're doing probably. Now, it's not exclusive because I can tell you right now, <clears throat> I have to work. In fact, God has told me to work. He's told me I have to work. And he's told me, he went on to say, if I don't provide for my family, I'm worse than an unbeliever. 
and he's condemned laziness. I have to work. I don't have to work three jobs. I don't have to work the hours that I, that I may want to work. I don't have to have the career that I want to have, that, that satisfies me and fulfills me. Is that making sense? Is that coming through? Okay. Guys, this is a, in Haggai chapter 1. This is what it says. It says, Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And guys, he's saying examine yourself. It's a biblical principle that God wants you to do. Fourth thing you need to do is you need to draw up a play. You need to draw up a play. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever wondered how this coach knows what to tell the guys during a timeout? When I was a kid, I played basketball in grade school and up through seventh grade. And I, it, it, it scared me knowing what to do and during a timeout. What if I had to be the one to call the, you know, and we'd play on the playground, there would be no coach, and somebody would be off to the side, and they'd draw up a play. And I was scared because, like, what if that ever falls to me? I don't understand the game enough. How will I know what to do? Guys, I don't have to know what to do if I'm including God in the process. This is what it says here in Psalms 119, verse 59. He says, I pondered the direction of my life. And I turn to follow your laws. What's he saying? He goes, I examined myself, and my decision was I was going to do what you've said, God. What God has told me, I will do. That's what David is saying here. In Haggai chapter 1, continuing on from what we just read, he says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. But what you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Now, I don't know about you, but this sounds like America. We're busy building our own life, building our own house, and God gets the crumbs. Now, he's talking specifically in this passage about they were busy with their own lives, and his temple was in ruins, and he wanted it rebuilt. And he tells them specifically, you need to stop, get your focus off yourself, and you need to get it on my temple. And guys, I I just want to tell you, if you're taking a time out with God, that's what He's going to tell you to do. He's going to tell you, get your focus off yourself and get it on my kingdom. I want you doing my work, not your work. You see guys, real faith equals taking some specific action. And when you include God in it, He will tell you, show you from His Word, specifics that you can take. 
The last thing we need to do to have a productive time out is just repeat. <laughs> Lather, rinse, repeat, right? Because, guys, you need to understand that seeking God is not so much an event or even a process. But seeking God is to be a lifestyle. God wants you seeking Him every day of your life. Not just for a season of your life. And you're going to do it. One of the verses we looked at earlier with regards to the Sabbath, which is the Sabbath was a weekly event, but it refers to it as a lasting ordinance. God wants you to take time on a regular, consistent basis. Now personally, I, like, I, think, I think daily is a good event. That if you can, you know, we, you've heard it called the quiet time. I think we need to hit the pause button and say, God, where am I at? God, how have I done today? God, what do you want me to do today? Mine's usually between 4.30 and 6 in the morning. I started that a number of years ago when that was the only time I could find it quiet in my house. That was significant just to remove the distractions and allow God to speak to me. Allow God to show me. To read what He has to say. Guys, I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are right now. I, I would... I would I would bet money if Vegas would give me odds and we could prove it that the majority of us in here right now need to hit the pause button. We need to take a time out. We need to call God into the huddle. We need to examine ourselves and we need to let God draw us up a play and show us what to do. I don't know where you're at, but guys, I want to I I I beg you. I don't want this to be a church. I don't want this to be a religious group. I want us to be part of the kingdom of God that is serious about following Jesus. And that's going to involve taking these timeouts and letting God show us what to do on a regular basis. I'm going to pray and we'll be done. Oh, no, no, I'm going to pray and then you're going to sing, right? <laughs> okay, let's pray, guys. Father, thank you that you allow us to hit the pause button. Father, I thank you that you've made the practice so clear. Father, that you gave the Israelites the Sabbath and you let us see about it so that we can choose to do that on our own. That we can choose to take time to, to, to break from life. And Father, to focus on you. Father, I follow you a lot more closely now than I did as a younger man. And Father, I'm learning how to follow you more closely every day. Father, I pray that you can keep us on that path. You can show us that path and keep us there. Father, I know that you love us and you want to see us experience life the right way. And that's your way by including you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.